0: Let's go. Episode 1237 of the Talkin' Audio podcast. My name is Matt Robinson coming to you from our studio, as always, or as most times, in beautiful Bytown, yeah, Canada. Uh, thank you so much for checking out today's show. It's going to be a great one. We're going to talk to our buddy Nick Ashbourne. I used to just kind of tee him up as being from Yahoo Sports Canada. Of course, we saw Yahoo Sports Canada to go, uh, go down in a changing media landscape here last year, but Nick has not. Nick is now contributing at Maple Leafs Hot Stove. Nick still has the Blue Jays Happy Hour podcast. Nick is contributing at Sportsnet. Nick is now writing at The Athletic. So he is everywhere, and he's going to be here on the podcast today, which is fantastic. Uh, In case you missed it, episode 1236 is out now. That was with our buddy Steve Bunda. All kinds of talk about the NFL playoffs, uh, his Tampa Bay Buccaneers, overcoming the Philadelphia Eagles. We talked about uh, Lee Versage and his uh, Dallas Cowboys going down hard to the Green Bay Packers. Um, We're going to talk to Lee a little later this week. He's he's emotionally damaged right now, having to coax him back onto the show, coax him out of hiding. We hope he's doing okay. We love you, Lee. It's going to be all right. This is a safe place. Uh, we'll, we'll, uh, do that a little later in the week, but also on that show with Bunda, we got into this weekend's UFC 297 card in, uh, in Toronto and actually did some kind of fun reminiscing about some of the other big events that the UFC has had in Canada, uh, over the last 10 to 15 years. So that was a really fun show. like I said, episode 1236, if you haven't had a chance to, uh, to check it out. With all that out of the way, let's bring him in, a guy who is co-hosting the Blue Jays Happy Hour podcast with our buddy Stoughton. He's contributing to The Athletic. He's uh, he's writing for Sportsnet on the Blue Jays. He is all over the place, and today he's here on Tall Can Audio. Nick Ashbourne, welcome back, man. Thank you for doing this. Oh, no problem. Thanks for having me on. I know I've probably left out a couple places that you are contributing, but uh, you know we've only got so much time here. It's a lengthy list at this point, man.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, you don't want your runtime. There's algorithms that uh, determine <laughs> that if you go too far, then it's not going to work out. So I'll spare you all the details, but you hit a lot of them on the head. The one I will add, though, is because it's fairly recent, is the Maple Leafs Hot Stove podcast that I do with Anthony Petrielli, uh, just because that's relatively recently launched. So if you have any
0: audience that is long-suffering Leafs fans, which is basically yeah. any Leafs fan by definition, then uh, yeah, come on by. Um, yeah, I was going to ask you about that, and and maybe we'll do that in a minute or two. You know where I like to start, where uh, we, we do focus on uh, some craft beer things here. And the last time you were on, you had just, uh, I believe, finished writing a, a piece on the best uh, craft breweries in Toronto with a patio. Before that, there had been some some winter stouts you'd written about. I'm not sure, and you'll correct me if I'm wrong, I'm not sure I've seen you write on that lately, but uh, I am curious, down there in uh, in the GTA, if you've tried anything new lately, anything you'd want to shout out or recommend to the listeners.
1: Yeah, I haven't written on lately. Unfortunately, the place where I was writing uh, some beer stuff became defunct, so my, my fledgling beer writing career came <laughs> to an end, uh, at least for now. I'm open, if, any, uh, if anyone's listening. Sure. But I, I am a dry January person. Okay. That's uh, sad to admit, so... Yeah. In terms of the most recent things, it, it hasn't been a, a recent explosion of beer trying for me. On the flip side, I will say this is sort of the time of year I feel like I thrive from a beer perspective because I am more of a stouts, porters, yeah. black lagers type of guy. Like That's what gets me going. That's my favorite stuff. So in the winter, I don't know, I, sometimes I drink that stuff in the summer too and sure. people just look at me weird, but in the winter, it's well stocked at the LCBO and... Uh, you're not going to get any criticism for it. So I don't know what I'd flag. I I will say that I think possibly my favorite beer in Ontario, and I I might've even said this last time, so I'm sorry if I did, (laughs) Uh, but I I do like to flag them because there's kind of a random place out in the Niagara region in an old former church called Silversmith, and they do a black lager that is fantastic and it might be my favorite Ontario beer. So whenever I get the opportunity to speak on beer, which is not necessarily that often, <laughs> I do like to give them a shout out.
0: Okay. Yeah. Don't, I don't think you mentioned that one last time. So uh, that is something new we can uh, we can keep an eye out for, certainly. Um, yeah. I, I always say that I try to, to pump the brakes in January and it's going to be a dry January. I know it's not going to be totally dry when you do this show. There's a lot of guests who come in expecting to have a pint with us or whatever. So it's more of a damp, January. That doesn't count. That's, <laughs> That's work, right? Of course, this is. <laughs> this is. I have to do it. So, um, but. Yeah, I, I got to be honest with you. So far this year, um, there's been no sign of it even being a damp or a moist January. Like it's, I haven't yet managed come to on the monsoon season. Yeah, so I I may wait for February that that short month and and see if I can squeeze it in there. So uh, we'll we'll see what happens. Um, I want to talk to you a little about the Jays. I want to talk to you a little about the, the Leafs. But uh, the breaking news here this afternoon, just before you and I started recording, was Pascal Siakam being dealt to the Pacers uh, for three draft picks. And two names that I am not familiar with. I will freely admit to the uh, the audience, they already know I'm not a huge basketball guy. But this is going to be a big story. I know you uh, have a better eye on the Raptors than I do. And look, I don't know how many thoughts you have on this trade. And if you do, then by all means. But I am curious about your take on just... Siakam's legacy with the Raptors, a big part of that 2019 championship team, a big name, a guy that had kind of hung around as a lot of other pieces had been stripped away over the last few years. And it feels like now the Raptors have fully embraced the idea that this thing needs to be rebuilt. This is a piece that uh, or Siakam is a guy that can bring back some pieces. I am curious, though, in, in kind of the, the pantheon of, of Raptors history and, and, and guys there, like, where does he stand? What is his legacy with this team?
1: Yeah, I I don't think I would say he's someone who's going to be forgotten per se, but he is, he's on the sort of second tier, right? Like he's not the, you know, the Vince Carters or of the world or even Chris Bosch. And he's not, you know, Kyle Lowry was kind of that quintessential Raptor and everyone loved his attitude. and He's such a leader. And then Kawhi was the guy who actually brought them the championship and then DeRozan is the guy who's going to be on the top of all the record books and all the points and his consistency. And Siakam seems to fit in kind of below there. It's a little bit unfortunate because he's an amazing story, like as a guy in terms of how far he came and how much he developed based, you know, compared to expectations and how late in his life he came to basketball. It just seemed like he was, you know, it was a complimentary piece when they won. Maybe that's, you know, maybe a little bit more than that. And then he reached his height and sort of fulfilled his potential during an era when people were souring on the team, and that's not his fault. Right. You know, it's not his fault that he was the best option they had, and that he was the guy that you know deserved the ball based on the roster they'd assembled, and that that roster didn't really work. Like it, it, I do feel for him because I think he deserves a little bit better. In a sense, like he still has a ring, he still has many accomplishments to his name. He is going to make a massive amount of money. I don't think we have to spend too much time feeling sorry <laughs> for him in the grand scheme of things. <laughs> Um, but it was it was a bit of an odd run for him in Toronto because the highlights came closer to the beginning of his career when he was a feel good story, but maybe not the player yet that he became.
0: In uh, ten years, fifteen years, twenty, when we start to do these, hey, it's been you know this anniversary since the 2019 championship team, and they try to invite all the guys back. Where does his kind of cheer or his welcome. Like, is he clearly that third guy? And I don't even know whether Kawhi would show up if you were doing a, a reunion for the Raptors. He seems kind of aloof, seems kind of whatever. Kyle, Kyle Lowry is the guy that, you know, the the fan base all um, loves without exception. It wasn't always that way when he arrived, but he built himself into a guy that the fan base absolutely adores. Look, everybody on that team will have a place in history, um, you know, in, in the Toronto Raptors legacy. But is Siakam kind of behind both of those two guys solidly in third place?
1: Yeah, I think that's where he slots in. There's probably a time where there was just a lot of love for Fred Van Vliet, partly yeah. because of how he performed in those finals, partly because of just the idea of him being this gritty guy who worked his way up. He just had that, you know, Toronto sports fans in general, for whatever reason, seem to really glom on to the the more blue-collar stars, for a better of The John McDonald's of the world. <laughs> Yeah, Darcy so I, and, yeah, I think he had that, but I, I, he kind of overstayed his welcome a little bit, not in a really nasty way. But I think that the fan base ended up turning on him a little bit as it went on because you know he was a guy who was probably better suited to the role he had on the championship team that, than the role he ended up having later in his Raptors tenure. Right. So he's the only guy I would kind of put up in the Siakam area but at the end of the day I think it's you know it's Siakam mean, also you, you probably get some kind of nostalgia pops sure. for guys like Marc Gasol who you have no yeah, negative yeah, thoughts yeah, yeah, about yeah. you know what I mean it's like people only <laughs> have great thoughts about Marc Gasol well, so that memory kind of, of the of,
0: parade the, the show he was putting on there
1: <laughs> yeah absolutely so I, sometimes that's the best thing to do is to sort of parachute in and parachute out before yes. any any of your awards show but <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that's sort of what we're talking about. Siakam. him being kind of a, a step down from the, the Kawhi, the Lowry, but also a little time, a little separation tends to help guys, you know, I think sure. overall people feel better about him in five, 10 years than they do today.
0: Yeah. It's a good point. Uh, the Jays made a little news today as well. Um, I'm not sure if this was the, the news anyone was really looking for or, you know, waiting on, but, uh, They have signed right-hander from Cuba, Uriel Rodriguez. And uh, I'll be pretty honest with you, outside of watching, I believe I saw him pitch an inning at the WBC last year, that is the extent of my Uriel Rodriguez knowledge. What can you tell us about what the Blue Jays have just signed, what they might be getting? Uh, There was a report I saw just before we fired up the recording that one of the reasons Toronto appeared to have landed him was they offered him an opportunity to start where other teams saw him more um you know as a as a relief arm that doesn't mean he will start for Toronto but they're obviously going to give him a chance uh you know what do we know about him what do you know about him what can you tell us do you think there's a chance he starts is this purely a bullpen arm and and how excited if at all should blue Jays fans be
1: uh, excitement might be a bit of a stretch. I don't know. He's a, he's an interesting guy for sure. Like he's a guy who was well thought of in Cuba and then he went to Japan and where he really turned it on was last year in a relief role. So it's understandable to me that a lot of teams thought, okay, this is a guy who can really help our bullpen. Obviously pitchers, whenever there's an opportunity to start, there's more money in starting, there's more glory in starting. Like it, If there's any kind of carrot to be dangled that a pitcher will be interested in, it's the idea that they might get to start. For the Blue Jays, they've got four guys locked in and then they've got Alec Manoa. So for him to actually start the team, start as the team's fifth guy in the rotation, you're talking about an injury or the bounce back people are hoping from, from a Manoa not happening. Right. So he's more likely to be a bullpen guy. At least initially, he might be the type of guy who's your sixth starter, but he lives in the bullpen. And if he ends up getting called, yeah, exactly. Like what Mitch white was supposed to be like, where if he ends up, this was not a good day for Mitch white. (laughs) No, not necessarily. Um, You know, it's been a tough go for him in general. But yes, I, you know, if he lives in the bullpen and then you have stretched him out during the spring and then if you need him in April or May, maybe his first start is three innings and you kind of build him up as you go. Like he's someone who pitched, you know, I think it's about 50, yeah, 54.2 innings last season. So you're not, he's not start or last night pitch. He's not starting and he's not going to give you 180, 200 innings. This is not the vision for him. He's like, he's a swing man with a slider people like with a mid nineties fastball and we'll see what happens. I think there's room for him to contribute out of the bullpen. There's also the fact that the blue Jays don't have a ton of starting depth that they can really count on or feel good about. Yeah. So this is the type of arm that they needed, but that doesn't, you know, just in the same way that they needed a starting outfielder and then they signed Kevin Kiermeyer, who <laughs> is a starting outfielder. Like, they filled a hole on the roster, but I don't think it's something where anyone can assume he's going to be a star. Like he's a bit of a mystery box, and that's always kind of fun when you have guys who have pitched in foreign leagues and you haven't seen a lot of them, and there's the idea that if you get them a different kind of instruction, maybe there'll be a different result with them. But uh, yeah, I think he's he's a nifty, interesting piece, but he's not someone people should have massive expectations for.
0: Yeah, the little bit of reading that I did about him here just before we started was that you know, almost certainly he'll be taken into the lab there in uh, in Dunedin as soon as possible. Try and get the fastball control uh, dialed in a little bit more, but that otherwise he's kind of a two pitch guy and and maybe is more suited to be a bullpen guy unless you can kind of uh, get that fastball under control a little bit. I I, I guess Wild would be overstating it, but there were some control issues there that maybe are easier to tolerate coming out of the pen than the rotation. So, um, it, it it's a fun story, right? Like you said, the it's a it's. It's a mystery box. And so, you know, that's something easy to get excited about. And if it doesn't work out, you know, well, I didn't know who he was anyway. Right. So,
1: yeah. I mean, it's, it is a difficult thing to get Jay's fans fired up at this point. It just yeah. is. I mean, there's the Otani letdown and then there's them going glove first on their first two position player signings of the offseason, or at least like major league guys. Mm-hmm. And there's so much frustration in this fan base regarding the offense. Like the fans, to, to be fair, I think, had been a little bit spoiled, you know, 2020 to 2022 year, Like, it had just been consistently an elite offense, and it just wasn't in 2023, with a lot of the same guys. Uh, You know, there are some people who were lost along the way, you know, Teoscar and and Lourdes, but a lot of the same guys and just wasn't, and I think there's a lot of hope going into this offseason that they were going to really make that the priority. Like, we need some more power. We need to get that offense back to where it was. And that's definitely not the way the Blue Jays have seen it. And I think there's still going to be additions here, maybe one or two. And those additions probably will be bat first, guys. Like, I don't think this is the team you're going to see when 2024 season starts. At the same time, this front office did not act in such a way to indicate that they shared the fan sentiment that the offense was broken and needed a big time overhaul.
0: How much in your opinion does it need a big time well, obviously there's spots that need to be filled here and um but how much of the Jays problems last year are completely turned around if Vlad and I don't even want to ask Vlad to be 2021 Vlad like maybe he's never going to be that again. That's an awful lot to ask of anybody. Maybe that year is the outlier. But clearly, you need him to be closer to that than he was in, in 2023. How much of what this team is going to be is going to be determined by Kirk returning to form and Vladi getting going a little bit better? And how much is it going to have to be boosted by, I don't know whether, you know, Jorge Solar is the guy. I don't know whether you're bringing back Matt Chap- uh, Matt Chapman. You know, uh, how much of this is just needing those two guys to produce that you've always known your franchise is going to be built around and how much do they need outside help? It's interesting because there are some
1: guys that they can feel pretty confident will give them more next year, right? Like if Vladdy gave them less than he did in 2023, they would be shocked. I think a lot of people would be shocked, right? You'd be looking at a colossal career collapse at that point. Uh, I I don't think anyone sees that happening. So you're probably going to get, bounce back from Vlad, we'll see how far that bounces is, right. is, the real question. You're probably going to see a little bit more from Alejandro Kirk, but maybe not a ton more. It, you know, he hasn't shown power in a long, long time. And if you look at his 2022 that was so good, it was really centralized on a couple months yeah. in sort of May, June. And sort of from for the last year and a half, he's really been this approximately average guy, which with his defense as a catcher, like that's all good, but it's not. Difference making, you know, are you going to see a bounce back from Springer? Maybe, but at his
0: age, he's not really a guy you can't. go the other way. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I, I think I'm a little bit more bullish on Dalton Varsho than some people are. I think he had trouble with Roger Center for whatever reason. He'll probably figure that out to an extent. Like he doesn't look like someone who really collapsed. A lot of the underlying stuff is pretty similar to what he did in Arizona. So I think that you'll probably see him come back a little bit. So there's reasons for optimism, but... Again, I, I think that if you're running this team back approximately, and like say you add a Jock Peterson or whatever to the mix, you're also losing. You know what Brandon Belt gave you. You're losing an above-average, if inconsistent, bat. And Matt Chapman, presuming he doesn't come back, but it doesn't look that way right now. Mm-hmm. So even sort of getting back to your average-ish you need a little bit of bounce back. Like you probably go further, but yeah, I I think they've had the attitude that a run saved is as good as a run scored. And that's true to some extent, but they also had, they got really good work from their pitching staff last year. And some of that is pretty hard to count on again. Like yeah. you just don't know with Kikuchi, Barrios, I think had a bit of a lucky season in a lot of ways. You know, Chris Bassett had never pitched 200 innings and I think you'd be lucky to get, uh, you know, a 360 ERA of him again. I'm actually writing on this that's going to go up tomorrow, but like, yeah, the run prevention should be good and it's what the team's built around now, but there's some stuff you can't totally count on. So I I don't know. I think long. that's a long-winded answer, but I think I lean more towards the they needed to do perhaps
0: more than they've done. How much more do you or think? More will do. Yeah, okay. Well, that was going to be the next question. Was Obviously, we expect, uh, I can't remember now, one of the insiders there was tweeting out today that, uh, you know, the. The agents are holding this up because they want to see the teams that are struggling with their TV deals right now. Are we going to have any money from that or not? And so they don't, players don't want to sign until they know who else might still enter the market and that that's part of the holdup. Do you expect, you know, obviously the Shohei thing got everybody really excited. Um, you know, we've seen Soto, the Jays briefly linked to him. He goes to a division rival. That's not a, Like, is it going to be a Jock Peterson, kind of Jorge Salar? Those are the types of things they're going to use to round out, or could you still see them getting interested in a Cody Bellinger, like something big still to come?
1: I mean, I would be surprised if they went with a Cody Bellinger type. I mean, to be fair, I was never super high on him. I think you're really – you're buying – A heck of a season, and you know, there's a lot of stuff that goes into Bellinger, and he's so young, not so young, but in the context of free agent, he wants a super long-term deal. He would have been a dangerous way to go. I I do think that it it is probably, yeah, Jock Peterson is the name that's always sort of stuck out to me as the most obvious fit to be the Brandon Belt type guy, Solaire uh you know he's right-handed so in that sense it's not ideal but we know the you know the top level power he's capable of bringing
0: again kind that, of risky right year over year
1: it's a little bit yeah, a little bit inconsistent year over year for sure that i think that's those are the waters that they're probably swimming in like the the reality of this offseason is like yes there was otani and then soto became available but from a position player standpoint it was pretty barren in free agency yeah. and the Blue Jays don't have a great farm system to trade from if they're trying to pry someone away. Like, the getting Soto would have been difficult for them. Yes. And so it's understandable they saw Otani as this big... I mean, Otani is a solution to every problem for every team. Yeah. So, But it, it's understandable why they saw that as a, as a huge deal for them as something they were really going to pour all of their resources into doing because they came into the offseason as a team with a fairly complete pitching staff needing position players in a market with plenty of pitchers and not a lot of position players. And... Some of that's foreseeable, so I'm not just going to like give them a pass for that. Like you kind of have to know and build your team accordingly. But at the same time, it it is unfortunate though for them the way it's worked out because it's it's this is a very difficult off season to upgrade your offense. Like it, it really is.
0: Yeah, and you know we you, you look around at some different options, and if these other teams that have their TV deals, uh, you know, in some jeopardy. Maybe they will look to cut some salary like the Jays seemingly forever have been linked to Jose Ramirez. Might you finally be able to pluck that guy loose? Do you have enough to do that? Or could you do something a little simpler, you know, get a guy like Polanco out of Minnesota because uh, Zedwar Julien clearly going to take over there. And that would be a left handed bat that, you know, that's not an earth shattering deal, but maybe it's a team looking to cut some salary. I, I do wonder if maybe on the trade market there's still some things you could do where you might be able to get guys a little bit cheaper than you would be able to otherwise just because there's some teams who aren't sure how much money they're going to have to spend this year
1: yeah that, that's going to be interesting to see that play out the thing with the blue jays is it's going to come back to is that even if teams are motivated to move off of players i think there's still enough franchises on solid ground that you, you know, the bidding wars for those players, right. you know, we'll talk about a Jose Ramirez type.
0: Yeah. <laughs> are still
1: going to be uh, like, it's not like the Blue Jays are the only ones who can potentially no. take advantage of those type of opportunities. And that's where things get tricky because they, you know, they're lacking on Blue Chip prospects. Like if you really op- open up the cupboard and empty it out and then Bichette and Vladdy don't resign. Right. Like the Blue Jays have a bit of an uncertain medium long term future right now because they haven't signed their star players. They don't have a lot of players on the books over the long term. You kind of thought that Manoa and Kirk was sort of the second wave, and there's a little bit of question <laughs> around both of those players now. Yeah. So it's I think the Blue Jays, it is a is a weird and difficult spot they're in where if they really push in for this year. You know, in the trade market, then the pressure on them to sign their goal, which, they, yeah, I'm not saying they shouldn't anyway, like they should be signing sure. Bo and they should be signing Blad, But there becomes a sort of doomsday scenario where <laughs> that uncertain future turns into a very bleak future. And Ross Atkins and Mark Jopar are definitely the type of individuals who are cognizant of that. Uh, in a way that, you know, I think sometimes people aren't necessarily because, you know, if you're a fan of the team, it's not your job to worry about where the team's gonna be in twenty twenty seven and twenty twenty eight, but that is something that Ross and yeah. Mark have to think about.
0: It sounds like and this is bumming me out a little bit, man. It sounds like you're telling me I should get ready to see Isaiah Kainar-Falefa like 120 times this year. That's not what I was hoping to get here.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think you should. I mean, sure he's one of those guys who could really goose his games played total by like coming in at the end of every game ever played right. because always a position he can slide into. So games is probably not the way to conceptualize him. But yeah, I, right now I, I would be surprised if he isn't starting a decent amount of the games at third base and – I guess, you know, some combination of Biggio and Davis Schneider are covering the rest of it. And yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it it is tough. It's tough to look at this team and think that they're anything more than what they've been over the last couple of years, which is a team that is good enough to be in the playoff hunt. But, and we know in baseball, any team can make a run. And there's a lot, like the playoffs, it's not like, the NHL, where you can have a team that makes a playoffs, but you're like 99.9% sure they're not going to make it past the second or fluke, maybe the third round. Like it's just sort of impossible entering the playoffs. You can write them off. You can't write off any MLB playoff team. And the Blue Jays will have a decent chance of making the playoffs, but I don't think the prognosis for this team has changed in a positive direction over the course of this offseason. That's for sure.
0: No. Uh, I want to ask you a little about the Leafs because you have uh, you have been covering them a little bit more lately. I know you've Uh, You've been doing some work for The Athletic. You mentioned uh, jumping in on um, the Maple Leaf hot stove uh, team over there. How does that come about for you? It's it's Toronto. Everyone who's involved in the sports media landscape is to some degree following the Leafs, Um, but it appears a little more for you than in, in past years. How does that sort of develop?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that in this business, it's very easy for someone to be like, "Oh, you are the this guy," and it's like, "Yeah, that's true," but also, you know, I've I, you know, grew up in Toronto, I've lived here most of my entire life, so I've been following, watching the Leafs for a long time, and with Yahoo Sports, I spent three years there in sort of 2017 to 2019. I did a little bit of NHL stuff during the off season. Um, just kind of chip in because I feel like I just I like to be busy in a general sense so maybe that's just the easiest question to any of it right Um, but then I circled back came back to Yahoo Sports in 2023 and basically it was my former manager and he knew that I was capable on NHL and I really wanted to do NHL more and especially the Leafs because they're the local team and the team I know best and so I did that for about a year and i I actually you know i think if you'd follow me on twitter you're seeing mainly the baseball stuff just because i know people who follow me on twitter that's what they're looking for like i write something about the anaheim ducks i'm like there's no point in me (laughs) tweeting this out like no one like there'll be people come to the site hopefully they read it and they like it or whatever but like it's just i don't know so i think kind of stealthily for about a year i was the covering nhl as the main nhl guy for yahoo sports And then when that team unfortunately folded, I wanted to keep going with hockey. Yeah, Yahoo Sports,
0: not the Anaheim Ducks.
1: Yeah, the Anaheim (laughs)
0: Ducks are still a (laughs) franchise. To our knowledge, Um, for now.
1: Yahoo Sports Canada folded, to be clear. There's still Yahoo Sports. So so then I, I was kind of curious if there'd be a market for, uh, my hockey stuff. Cause I knew it was a little bit under the radar and I, you know, I reached out to the athletic and I showed them some of the stuff I'd done and they liked it. And so I was happy with that. And then the podcast, it was came away part, uh, came around in a similar way, whereas a guy had done some video stuff with it. Yahoo. And he liked we had what we had done together. And so we kind of continued that partnership through the Maple Leaf hot stove podcast. And so, yeah, I'm trying to do a bit of an Otani thing right now and uh, do a two-sport two thing. And I uh, know I'm, re- I'm really enjoying it. I think there might be a time in sort of when April rolls around and it's Leafs end-of-season playoffs and beginning of Blue Jays, which is when people are kind of most amped up about it. Uh, maybe there'll be a time where I feel a little bit overwhelmed sure. and I question some of my choices. But right now, with the Blue Jays being in a deep sleep, I've kind of focused a little bit more on Leafs and... Yeah, I'm really enjoying. It. I think it, it's fun to get to be a little bit of a new voice on something where it's like I've been around for quite a long time, but I haven't really been around in the leaf space. So a lot of people are kind of coming to me for the first time, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, that's exciting. Even if the team itself is, uh, you know, covering <laughs> and following is a, an arduous task.
0: Yeah, that period where you're going to be overwhelmed in April probably won't last more than a couple of weeks. Um, That's what
1: history suggests.
0: (laughs) Exactly. And this team does not currently be, uh, currently, um, you know, isn't currently indicating that they're going to be the ones that turn it around. Now, look, things can always change in a trade here and there and whatever else. But I got to be honest with you, coming into this season, it always felt like this might be one of those years that they take a bit of a step back in the regular season, but they were willing to do that and and the term Brad Truliving kept using was a little more snot in the lineup, which is just charming. Uh, And, you know, maybe your Bertuzzi's and your Domies and these sorts of guys would be guys who showed up better for you in the playoffs. And that may yet prove to be true. Uh, The John Klingberg thing was a disaster from day one, so now there's a gaping hole on the blue line that needs to be filled. Um, The offense isn't producing currently like it needs to um, for, you know, with the amount of for the last couple of years, the Leafs have been kind of deceivingly good defensively and despite their reputation for being a run and gun offense and you trade it away and kind of let some of those pieces leave that helped you be that in favor of being more offensive and you haven't been much more offensive. So I'm sort of curious where you think this team is at right now and, and we should say we're recording this Wednesday afternoon coming off uh, another loss to Edmonton that's four in a row. And that's a tough time to ask for an opinion. The the, the the storm clouds are moving around the team right now. It's about as dark as it's been all year. But I'm curious where you think, you know, realistically this group is.
1: Yeah, when I look at the Leafs, I see them as sort of a, a tech, second, second tier middleweight type of team. Like they... Uh, even though they've had this rough stretch and you can point at the standings right now and say, oh, Detroit's creeping up behind them. Like this is, you know, they could even miss the playoffs. I don't think that's going to happen. I think they'll probably, you know, right the ship to some degree, figure things out a little bit. Like this is, we're catching them in a real. Oh, as you said, it was great that you provided that context because you know what people think about them today is maybe not what they're going to think about them in two weeks or three weeks. Although they're on a difficult Western yeah, road trip, yeah, it might be.
0: Could this might, might be the be, best yeah. people think of them for a while?
1: It's true. Yeah. No, I, I think that at the end of the day, you know, they are they are a playoff team. The East is. F- fairly open like uh, the east is not brimming with elite teams like the hurricanes are not what they've been at times in the past the rangers are leading the metro but they're not unbelievable i think the florida panthers are really really good at least would be hard pressed to get past the panthers again the bruins got off to that great start they're still lacking firepower so i think that in the but this team's like
0: you expected to fall away like the flyers you thought yeah fun start they should be totally out of it by now they're not like there's a couple of teams like that hanging around where you're it's pretty mushy there in the middle right like that not yeah not a lot of elite but some okay stuff some pretty good teams I guess
1: yeah and I think the the Leafs are sort of probably sort of a a pretty good team but what a pretty good team means is that you reach the playoffs and then you're you've got a coin flip first round series and then after that you're going to be a heavy underdog from there and Brad Treliving has said, and you know, with the Leafs, the coin is weighted,
0: yeah. as we know.
1: <laughs> um, but Brad, Brad Treliving has kind of been hinting in recent days that you know you got to be careful of the trade deadline. You don't necessarily want to push everything in the middle, uh, and you can't necessarily remake your team. And that's true to an extent. I think he also has a little bit more of a long-term vision than uh, than. Dubis did at times where he's probably kind of managing for his job a little bit, right? So he's like, oh, this has got to be the year. This has got to be the year. Troving knows he's going to be around for a while. So he's probably less excited about dumping your top prospects and trading a first round pick when they really don't have a lot of picks going forward. So not only do you have this kind of good, not really great team kind of heading towards the playoffs, you probably aren't going to get the same quality influx of players that mm-hmm. they've had in the past. Like, you know, Ryan O'Reilly being a big difference maker, being someone who, you know, helped them get over that hump and yeah. make it out of the first round. Like, I don't see them doing something that significant again. So I think you've got a lot of the makings of the, a similar Leafs team that we've seen before. But I'm probably not as optimistic that there's going to be a, a big time, you know, there'll probably be a defenseman of some description, but some kind of really big time addition. So it, it's hard. It'd be hard to bet on any outcome for the Maple Leafs, <laughs> except for make the playoffs and, lose in the first round like it, it sounds crazy to say that but like it does just, not
0: sound even a little crazy to say that no, that's what it, we do okay
1: okay it sounds lazy to say that. it's a but the reality is that something would have to change in either like that is the trajectory they're currently on and that doesn't mean that that's their destiny they could get joseph wool back he could be incredible for them he's been really good whenever he's been healthy maybe I'm wrong about the deadline uh you know I think that one thing the Leafs need to do is experiment with their lines a little bit more try and have three lines that can store instead of two like give Marner his own line with Domi see what happens like there there's some things that could conceivably happen but right now like most of your outcomes are kind of heading towards a Toronto Maple Leafs like season which is (laughs) which kind of you know it sucks I'm sad for all these people are hoping that this is the year. And, but I, I don't think that many Maple Leafs fans, when Sheldon Keefe returned and all these stars returned, thought, oh, okay, this is the year. Like, right. They're running it back for, what is it, eight or nine here? So it would be hard to be too optimistic headings this year unless you're like the biggest Tyler Bertuzzi and Max Domi fan that's ever lived. Like it, <laughs> This is fundamentally a Leafs team in a similar mold to ones in previous years.
0: Well, it's interesting you say that because it reminds me a little of that 2019-20 season where there's kind of an extended period in um, you know, kind of January, February where they're just not playing that well and that gets capped off by the old David Ayers game that everyone remembers so fondly. <laughs> and by all accounts, that was sort of the moment where you don't throw in the towel. You don't say I'm going to sell, but Dubas by all accounts decided we're not trading a first round pick this year and we're not giving things up. I, I guess it, it was reported by somebody at the time that, like, the next day he was supposed to t- uh, sign Zach Bogosian, who had just been bought out, I believe, by Buffalo. And he just decided in that moment, look, this team isn't good enough. We're not, we haven't shown that we're in it this year. So it's not the year to start throwing away more prospects and more draft picks uh, for this particular group. And at the time, I think that made a lot of sense. Now, all your young guys were like 22, 23. But now you're a few more years into this, and your guys are locked up again, and they're a little older. And they're not old. The window isn't closed, but you have fewer of those prime years out in front of you. And so while I certainly look at this team and go, I'm not sure I'd spend a lot of future capital on upgrading this particular group that I don't think is going to be good enough this year, there is a little bit of pressure, it would feel like, to be like, yeah, but you know, whatever Tavares is right now isn't going to get any better and you've got to lock up Mitch again and, you know, some of these years are passing you by a little bit. Like, it it feels like that's an interesting balance he's going to have to walk this year. True living, I mean, in the sense that you got to go for it to a certain extent, but you can't blow your brains out here on a group that this just might not be their year.
1: Yeah, and I I think that's a good comparison. They don't really, for lack of a better term, deserve... Yep. to to be invested in. in a, in a a and, and that could change, honestly. like they could And some know, of that just, is
0: on entre- for like, living. Like he brought in Domi yeah. he brought in Klingberg, he brought in Bertuzzi. If this group isn't good enough to be invested in, well, you helped build this version of it. It's, it's, it's sure. kind of a two-way
1: street. And he, and he said, I don't really think that you build a team at the deadline, you build a team in the offseason. It's okay, well, you built this team yep. in the offseason. Yep. So yeah, there's some level, you know, I don't think that his tenure is you know under trial just yeah there's been some mistakes there's been good, some good stuff we'll see what happens with for living yeah but it is it is an interesting dichotomy like as you said there are you know this is a win now outfit this is not some group of young guns figuring it out at the nhl level like these guys are established veterans you know mitch marner just went over 600 points right. arson matthews will be there soon like this, these guys have played plenty in the league and their lack of playoff experience is only by virtue of their own failures. Like lots of people go to the playoffs met that many times, come home with a few few cups, a few rings, and people say they're battle-tested veterans. And <laughs> it's just these guys haven't done that. It's not that they haven't had the chance to do that. Yeah. So you've got Matthews for now five years, this year and then the, the years of his extension, mm-hmm. and that's your window. So it's like, okay, you're going to maybe this year you're going to... Not invest next year. Nylander's contract and Matthews' contract kicks in. Things get more difficult. Mm-hmm. So then you're looking at really like a th- a three year window. Yeah, and and that's that's a tough thing to work with because I don't know. I can't claim to know what's going to happen with Austin Matthews, but if this team for the tenure of his next extension is essentially this, right? Like, uh, I, it's hard to see. If you were him, I don't think you would stay. Like, why would you stay? With the Maple Leafs, if you've given them, at that point, 10-plus years, and probably even in that time, set the records you'd want to set. Yeah, you're not a franchise leader in
0: everything. I'm out of here. Yeah,
1: it's like, yeah, and I don't think that, yeah, Matthews has had some playoff runs that weren't, you Mm -hmm. know, that he deserves criticism for as well. But I don't think, when people look at the problems with the Maple Leafs, no one's like, ah, Austin Matthews, this is where it begins. Well, no one reasonable. No unreasonable, So he can go like he could go to another team and have a lot of success. So it is interesting because if you punt this year, next year's difficult. And then that's yeah. it's, you're running out of time. I, I don't know what I would do if I was tripling. But I think that my inclination would probably be based on where we are today to not do anything radical, to yeah. go after yeah. a right shot defenseman with a little bit of size uh, who I could maybe play with Riley because Brody is just not Whew. doing it this season. No. Uh, it's been really rough for him. Uh, and so I think that getting him in a small role or out of the lineup somehow would help your defense core, but that's probably the way I would go. And you'd be like, okay, we're entering the, the Stanley cup playoffs with, I don't know, whatever money puck or whatever you want to look at their odds would be like, you got a four or 5% chance of winning it all. (laughs) And, uh, that's what we're doing. And I, I think that's sort of where you have to go. If, if you, unless you believe, for instance, that you've got, you know, Fraser Minton or Easton Cowan. And you're like, oh, these guys are actually trash, but the league thinks they're good. (laughs) So let's offload. Like, unless you got something like that where you feel like there's an asset that you have asymmetrical information on, or you feel like this is the time to sell on it. Like the Blue Jays have done that before, right? Like with Austin Austin Martin, Martin, they sold him because they're like, you know what, the league really likes this guy at this point, and we're not sold it's going to be a thing. So let's make a move, like. Maybe if the Leafs feel like that about one of their top prospects, you know, like Hildeby or something, maybe, don't, but you yeah, may I, need,
0: you may yet need Hildeby. <laughs>
1: <yeah>. <laughs> I just want to see him play. Honestly, when he came up, I was pretty disappointed yeah, that honestly. we didn't get
0: to see him play. Yeah. Uh, well, last thing for you then on this, and uh, I don't know how good or bad, like you look at that Oilers game early on, the Leafs played pretty tight with them. And then Edmonton kept coming on. And by the end of it, they were carrying the play and, but you were leading at one point. If you managed to 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 pot one there early in the third or something, maybe that's different and we're having a whole different conversation, but you have now blown a few different leads. I don't think that we're going to see this this year, but do you think there's merit to the conversation of a mid-season coaching change? And, you know, maybe we'd be that team that gets the bump like other teams have and everyone, but the sense seems to get, um, I'm, I'm just sort of curious, is there, Merit to talking about it because, you know, when we didn't change the big four last year and we didn't change the coach last year and we changed the GM, which I don't think was what anyone predicted was going to be the case, as you suggested earlier, you walk back in going, all right, I guess we're running it back. If you're not yet willing to trade any of your big stars and you're not going to make any big moves at the deadline, you know. Do you think, like I said, whether you believe they'll do it or not, do you think it's a reasonable conversation to be having that, you know, if this road trip doesn't go very well, maybe you're coming home to a new coach?
1: I think there's merit. I think the organization really likes him. And we saw that with how they went about searching for a GM, like Shanahan would say, oh, you get to choose the coach. But there was also kind of reporting that he was like, give serious consideration to Keith," And it, it seemed like They like Keefe. Yeah. So it would have to be something dramatic, you know, like maybe they lose out on the road trip and they're not, these games aren't close and then they've got games coming up with Winnipeg and those aren't easy either. So like they could go on some horrific stretch here where they're like, okay, we, even if we're going to make the playoffs, we need to do something. But I I do think that sort of conceptually it's definitely worthy of consideration. Like you can give, Sheldon Keefe credit for his regular season mm-hmm. record and it's it's hard to dispute. I think he at times has done a good job tightening up defense on a roster where you wouldn't intuitively think that the defense would be that good. Yep. Um, but at the same time, you know, a lot of the power play success you're going to give a coach credit for that. That's often the assistant and they just have the personnel to be really good at that. Uh, I'm not sure that Keefe has done a ton to elevate the talent that he's had which is kind of the Prism by which we look at coaches, and it might be that there's just something stale about the Toronto Maple. I mean, there. Yeah. I think it's hey, there is something kind of stale mm-hmm. about the Toronto Maple Leafs in general, and if management opted to do that, I would be surprised. I'm not that person who's like, this needs to happen tomorrow, or right. it's a joke. Like There's some people who are furious and they want to see that happen tomorrow. Yeah, it has been else. trending
0: all day on Twitter today, like, which is a reasonable yeah. place to have a conversation, obviously. It's- of
1: course, if not the best. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but... but but if they did that, I would not be coming out and criticizing. Right. I'd be like, "Okay, that's understandable. Like you, they need to find that so they've got Guy Boucher there as someone who could kind of internally step in with a lot of experience and, you know, a reputation for getting teams to play well defensively at times." Yeah, that does not um, excite me. They, if
0: they're doing it, they better be going for somebody outside the the organization. I'm not
1: I It's tough to do that mid-season. Yeah, it is. Anyway, Yeah. I, like his presence maybe would make them more comfortable doing it. I'm not sure again I, I know that not everyone's had the best experience with him <laughs> I, I, I think it's what I the conclusion I'm coming to is that yes I think it's totally there'd be a move that's totally justifiable to do mm-hmm. and that doesn't mean that they need to do it or that they will do it but it is you know they've got uh, not that many arrows in the quiver here especially right. with their lack of trade ammunition and that is something that is available to Trilling, and it's something that yeah, I think he'll have to consider. But I would still be surprised if it happens because I think overall the organization thinks highly of him, um, for better for worse. And it, it's it is very hard to evaluate coaching on the outside. I'll I'll say that. Like I think that a lot of times fans get so angry at at coaches, and sometimes it's difficult to know. There's a lot of things we don't see that coaches do, and and Keith's results are good. If he's well liked in the room and in the organization, I get it, but. Yeah, that's something that ought to be thought about, that's for sure.
0: Yeah, I think over the last couple of years, you look at the groups that they have had on the blue line, and you would say that they have been better defensively than those names would suggest they should be, and Keefe obviously deserves some credit for that. So, um, look, it's going to be an interesting stretch. There's... If there's anything worse than your team enduring a long-term losing streak, it's while it's happening late night out west while you're having to stay up to watch <laughs> it. So it uh, could be a long week ahead for uh, for Leafs fans. I appreciate you doing this, Nick. I know you said you had something coming out on Thursday about the Jays. I know you got a couple of podcasts running. Uh, if there's anything you want to you pimp here, or tell us where we can find you.
1: I think I think we uh, we covered most of it. There's a Maple Leafs Hot Stove podcast that went out today. We discussed a fair amount of stuff we discussed here, but hopefully I used different enough words. <laughs> uh, yeah, tomorrow I got something coming out for Sportsnet on the the Jays and their kind of run prevention. And yeah, you can find me on Twitter because that still seems to be the best channel for all yep. these things, as odious as some of the Twitter <laughs> things are still are. I do have a Blue Sky account. You can look for me there, but. Uh, you know, not a ton happening there yet. Maybe someday.
0: Uh, we'll link to all of that in the show notes and I will uh, throw on top because it is my favorite Blue Jays podcast. The, uh, the Blue Jays happy hour podcast with Stoughton, uh, not a lot going on right now because there's not been a lot to talk about, but, uh, during the season, it's uh, certainly worth a listen. We'll link to that one as well. I, I appreciate your time, Nick. Thanks so much, man.
1: No problem. Thanks for having me on.
0: There he goes. That was great. And honestly, uh, you know, Big shout out to, to Nick Ashborn for making the time. As he's mentioned, he's a pretty busy guy at this and the the number of things that he's covering and for the number of outlets that he's doing it. Uh, he's working that hustle for sure. Um, but I've I've always, and, and he pointed it out, right? Kind of stealthily moved into the hockey side of things and into the NHL side of things over at Yahoo Sports. And it was really, man, it was a tough thing to see Yahoo Sports Canada go down last year. Um, a lot of really talented people that were giving different perspectives Perspectives not tied to a couple of major telemedia corporations that happen to own the team and all have deals with the league and all kinds of intertwined relationships that make it really difficult to cover these things. And I'm not saying that everyone who works for Rogers or Bell, obviously, are shills. They're not all. Some are. They're not all. But it is tough, right? You always are worried about. What's this going to mean if I say this? Who's going to be pissed if I say this? That that does live in the back of a lot of these people's uh, mind. And so someplace like Yahoo Sports Canada didn't have any of that. These were people that were usually pretty young coming up in the industry, had interesting perspectives, had an understanding of the game. In a lot of cases, you guys know how I feel about analytics. They had a keen understanding of that. And so it was a really, a really big blow to the industry and it is, too. I'm not sure they've realized it yet. While they're trying to run these companies out of business, I'm not sure that TSN and Sportsnet understand how bad this is for them. Because it's no different than sports. You know, before you play for the Sens or the Leafs, you are probably going to the Belleville Sens or the Marlies to get your reps. You don't get to just show up in the NHL. Where do you expect these people when they're coming out of college and university and needing to write their columns, needing to get a feel for these things, needing to develop their contacts. Where is that going to happen if all of these places keep getting either swallowed up or closed down completely? So, uh, really enjoyed following Nick on Yahoo Sports. I'm really excited to see that he landed with, uh, with some space there at The Athletic, certainly still a freelancer for Sportsnet, having some time there. And now, yeah, contributing over at uh, Maple Leaf Hot Stove, who do some really cool stuff. And, uh, Anthony Petrelli, who he's Uh, Nick is, is co-hosting that podcast with is also really bright guy. So if you feel like you're not getting enough Leafs content, I know the Leafs coverage can be hard to find, but, uh, Maple Leaf Hot Stove, both the website and the podcast worth checking out for sure. Uh, we are going to work tomorrow to touch base with Lever Sage. It's a little tight. He's traveling around now. He's not posted up at that same Airbnb that he'd been for the last few weeks So I can't tell you exactly when that's going to drop, but we have been trading a couple of messages and we're going to try to record something for you then. That's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, If you missed it on Tuesday, episode 1236, Steve Bunda was back on the podcast. We talked all about the NFL playoffs and uh, looked ahead to UFC 297 in Toronto this weekend and kicked around a bunch of... uh, uh, a bunch of topics in the fight game as well. So lots of good stuff up on the podcast right now. Hope you'll check all of that out. If you're not currently subscribed to the podcast, you enjoyed the conversation today. I hope you'll uh, you'll hit subscribe, you'll hit follow in whatever podcast app you're listening on. And like I said there uh, a few minutes ago, great to talk to Nick because uh, it's a different perspective. Really bright guy and as much as I enjoyed his work on the Blue Jays and still do, I'm really happy to see that he's bringing that now into the leaf space as well, uh, because he's just a guy who knows what he's looking at. When you put some numbers in front of him, when you put a team in front of him, when you put a situation in front of him, he's able to take a look at that and go, yeah, okay. And then provide a slightly different perspective than what you're used to hearing. And that's why I like that blue Jays happy hour podcast so much because Stoughton can do the exact same thing, both really bright guys. And so when the two of them sit down and do a blue Jays podcast, you know, maybe the team's won eight in a row and they're kind of pumping the brakes going, yeah, but, and if they've lost eight in a row, they're going, yeah, but actually underneath here, there's some numbers that suggest it's going to be fine. And they're usually, usually correct more often than not. So, uh, big thanks to, uh, to Nick Ashbourne. And actually, you know, as we're saying that name out loud, it's probably just about time we reach out to Stoughton again and get him back on the podcast too. So... Uh, stick around later this week. Like I said, Lever Sage will be here. Uh, we got some interesting stuff coming up next week that we'll uh, be able to promote here shortly. It's always a good time to be subscribed to TCA. Appreciate each and every one of you who listens. My name is Mal Robinson. Thank you for doing that listening that I just referenced. And we'll see you all next time. That's it. I cannot work under these conditions. If anybody wants me, I'll be downstairs at McDougal's. I'll call the weekend guy. I don't care.